know who we are? I do. We are media. Fucker! Today's episode, we have Plane 2023 and the Snyder's Cut review of Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Spoilers ahead for Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Now, this review was a long time coming. It has also already been done and the audio has been lost. (laughs) But here we are. So Isaiah and I have uh, put... Many, many hours into this. So I looked at my hours earlier. It said I'm at 112 hours of Pokemon on Pokemon Violet and 40 hours on Pokemon Scarlet because I've beaten both games. Um, Do you know how much roughly you're on? I have played for about 35 hours. So not as much as Dan, but (laughs) I've, uh, hey, I put two hours into like Pokemon Shield. So, I mean, that's quite an increase. This game is far superior to Pokemon Sword and Shield. Um, Mm -hmm. I will say that off the start. Full disclaimer, I'm a Pokemon fan. I played the first Pokemon game all the way through. Now, there was a point in my life where, you know, I got into my early 20s and I stopped playing for a little while, but I have since gone back and beaten those games. You know, all that stuff. I grew up with the series. I played the Pokemon trading card uh, for a while when I was in middle school. We had a, uh, a city... A tournament that I won. I still have the little trophy here. <laughs> it's a stupid little Pokeball. But yeah, I still have it. Um, and that was for the trading card game. I'm just starting to get into the online, uh, like actual PvP situation. Not the doubles, but the singles. One step at a time here. This will be totally from my opinion, um, based on possibly uh, rose-colored glasses, if you will. So take that with a grain of salt but I am going to be as uh, as objective as I can. Now, to me, this is not uh, the Pokemon for PC nerd. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. So, typically, people will play on PC. Now, anyone who plays on PC in the comments, let me know if I'm wrong. But you play on PC for one reason. Well, a big reason is that you're at the forefront of technology, right? PCs always... We have to wait for another console or an upgraded version to increase what our our performance is on our system. You guys can just, you know, play with your Legos and fit in a new piece, right? Am, am I am I nailing that, Isaiah? Uh, pretty much. <laughs> right, because that's that seems like the main reason to play on PC. Right, because that that stuff is more expensive than a console, so it's not yeah. a money thing. I feel like with PC, it's more so about playing however you want. Because, like, when I think of PC players, it's a lot of either, like, big games that require, you know, like, more intricate controls or, like, specific type of controls and also modifications. You know, I I can't really think of anybody who doesn't play, like, a PC game that's also on other consoles and doesn't have some sort of mod downloaded to make it better. I, you know, I've been a console gamer my entire life and I just, I don't get it. I mean, I I get why you'd, you'd play, you'd want to play on it, but I don't get it myself. There's, there's no situation in which I'd rather play on a PC than a console. So take that for what you will. Anyways, back to Pokemon so I can make another (laughs) comparison to a different game. So, um, Pokemon 
there's something there's a, a, a certain amount of charm that Pokemon has. Is it the most graphically intense game? No. Is it a graphically good game? Not really. But it, it has a certain charm that your average gamer that I put in quotes wants to change. Now they want Pokemon to be like uh what's the game with the robot dinosaurs? Horizon. Right. Or uh, God of War or whatever. They they want to completely change it. But it has to maintain certain things. Now, it needs to have the uh, turn-based battle system. Which is very outdated, but it works for some games. Now, look at Persona 5. Look at Final Fantasy VII Remake, on the other hand. Now, compared to Final Fantasy VII from 1997, this Final Fantasy game has no charm, right? But it has... Intense graphics, like when I summoned Ifrit for the first time, holy shit, was that awesome. You know, there's things they kept the same with Final Fantasy VII Remake that connected it to the original, where, like, if you had just tried to completely change it so it wasn't Final Fantasy at all anymore, it's just like, what's even the point? Yeah. My point about saying all that is not every game has to fit a certain mold. Now, I play games like Cuphead, Persona 5, but then I'll play God of War and Elden Ring. Variety is the spice of life. So don't try and make Pokemon what it's not. And these people who are complaining about it, this is, is this the best Pokemon game? Probably. Now, is it my favorite? No, but they have made leaps and bounds from what it was even even three years ago. So I just wanted to throw all that in. This game seems more like something, it seems like a game that is more aimed towards towards players who have been playing the series for a while and not so friendly, with the exception of one aspect, which I'll get into later, um, not so friendly towards newer players. For my background on Pokemon, I started with X and Y. I, I started with Y to be more specific, but I wasn't allowed to play it growing up. Uh, I've told Dan all the funny stories about the things I couldn't do <laughs> growing up. She like it took me about a year and a half to beat Moon, and by the time Shield came out, I made it to Route Four, and I was like, I'm I'm bored. I like I or I just I can't do this anymore. I it's just I'm sick of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked in Let's Go. I know you hate Let's Go. Uh, hate Let's it. Go games. Worst. I worst liked games them the because they changed up some stuff. I played Pokemon Go a lot as well, so I think that's why I didn't mind it as much. Like, the catching thing. But I liked how you like you could see the Pokemon walking around, and I thought that was super cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Sword and Shield, they had that in some areas, but not all. And But it's just like, this series doesn't seem like it's progressing at all, really. You have these huge open areas, but they seem like a DLC type of thing added on, where it's just like, you're not supposed to do this stuff until later in the game, really. Right, the uh, open areas. So... This is the argument I try and make with people is that and and it's not on the consumer to just accept it. I just accept it because I'm such a big uh, Pokemon fan. But you could tell I was trying to tell this people this three years ago because they're on such a tight window to make games. They they had to mix in some of the Pokemon Sun and Moon, which was the basic you're walking through and everything is fixed camera you know, things that they were doing in 1996. But the wild areas were what's to come next. So it's Pokemon Sword and Shield was the bridge between Sun and Moon and Scarlet and Violet. Yeah, like the big the big issue with Pokemon, which I know we've talked about multiple times, is yeah. just that 
they are beholden to the card games and the TV show seasons. And it's like, you got to come out with a new game every year because needs to we need new cards to release. Kind of very similar to like how I approached Call of Duty, where it's just like, I stopped, excuse me, I stopped playing the games for like three years and I'd come to the new game because that way, like between games, there's enough of a change. And that's what it feels like with Pokemon, where it's just like uh, with uh, like the Pokemon company where they want to do new stuff. I'm sure they'd love to have multiple years to work on these projects over a lot of time, but they kind of have to throw them out every year. So it's like, okay, we want to make this type of Pokemon game, but instead we're going to experiment with Pokemon being visible and let's go. We're going to experiment with open areas in Sword and Shield. We're going to experiment with an open world, sort of, in Arceus. And then I feel like all of those ideas came together to make this game. And I think that's why it's just like, this is the culmination of all the ideas they've been working towards that makes it a step up. So right. instead of if you just... think about Breath of the Wild as as a, like a baseline. So between Breath of the Wild 1 and Breath of the Wild 2, a.k.a. Tears of the Kingdom, six years. Yeah. In that time frame, Pokemon has to release two generations of Pokemon. Sword and Shield came up actually in that'd be. Th- yeah, two years or sorry, one generation every three years, plus games in the middle. So between Breath of the Wild 1 and Breath of the Wild 2, Pokemon has released Ultra Sun, Ultra Moon, uh, Sword and Shield, Brilliant Diamond, Shining Pearl. Now, that was a different company, but even so, uh, Pokemon Legends Arceus, also the DLC for Sword and Shield. There were two of them. Now, how completed they were by the time Sword and Shield came out, I don't know. But And also Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Also, let's go. Also, let's go. (laughs) So... This is why I, as a huge fan of them, I cut them a lot of slack. But there's one part of it that I don't cut slack. When speaking to, I forget who the guy was at Game Freak, but there was an interview with one of the heads of Game Freak. And they keep their staff at around 100 people, which is absurd. Now, they have a tight window, but you need to expand your staff to... (laughs) Even if they're just bug fixers, they don't need to be people who are working on any of the story, any of the Pokemon. You just need hire a thousand people to just constantly game testers to just work out bugs. That's all you have to do. And this game would have been perfect. I feel like this game is very beginner friendly and very friendly to people who haven't played it before because it incorporates a lot of the things that um, other video games have been doing now that it's modernizing itself. And I feel like since it's modernizing itself, that's what's making it more open to people. Like I, I would have agreed with you if this, like if we were in this situation like three or four years ago, but especially cause like turn-based games have been like popping up or becoming more and more popular again after like nobody caring about them for years. Um, me. Like, there, there were still a lot of good games that were doing very well, but, like, when it comes to, like, mainstream and people jumping into RPGs who had never really played them before, I know a lot more per- people who got into turn-based games because of Persona 5 than, like, a bunch of other games. And it's, it's awesome because I feel like now, because turn-based is a little bit more accepted now, and it's not just seen as this old-school thing that's 
you know, archaic and isn't good anymore. It's like, okay, the turn-based system of Pokemon, while it does still, and we'll get into this in gameplay later, feel like something out of, you know, the, the 90s, there is a lot of stuff surrounding it that is more welcoming and friendly. Yeah. And I think it's very, it was very successful in its sales as well. Which is, you know, I wish we could get numbers because the only numbers I could find is from the first three days where it sold over 10 million copies. But yeah, we're Nintendo past hates. Christmas. We have two two months worth of sales. Let's see if we can find it here. Nintendo hates giving out numbers. Pokemon Scarlet and Violet only including non-digital sales because Nintendo doesn't give out those numbers was number three behind Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, which Call of Duty is always number one. It's It's stupid, but it's always... Outsells everything. Number two is God of War Ragnarok, and then number three was Pokemon Scarlet. I don't but, want I mean, to like, hear that's... anything about Madden players or Call of <laughs> Duty players saying that uh, Pokemon needs a fresh update. Okay. Yeah, I know, especially Madden, <laughs> where it's just like it's I mean, like, I think that's game. crazy. Scarlet and Violet is like right underneath Arceus, and it came out, you know, months after. I think Arceus was February. Yeah. Which also, I, I didn't talk about that game on this channel, but uh, one of my least favorite Pokemon games ever yeah, is Legends it. Arceus. All right, let's talk about the visuals. So yes. I played this game between Scarlet and Violet over 150 hours, and I've received one crash. Have you gotten any game, full game crashes where it kicks you out to the Switch menu? I've gotten two at this point. But we know that my luck with crashes is way worse than yours. Yeah, <laughs> Mister, I played all of Cyberpunk and didn't get one crash <laughs> on a worse system. Yep, <laughs> unreal. The the autosave in this game is so generous, where it's just like it crashed in the middle of me doing something, and then I lost like maybe not even five minutes of progress. This uh, game does have an autosave feature um, that you want to keep on unless you are if you're facing one of the uh, legendaries, you want to turn it off and save it before you face them in case you accidentally kill them, blah, blah, blah. So keep it on for the most part and your your crashes. If you received any, let me know in the comments, by the way, have you received any crashes on Pokemon Scarlet and Violet? And if so, how many? What what happened? Or was the game just totally unplayable? <laughs> um, so. My biggest issue with the visuals is the pop-in. The background settings, like, you can see this vast expanse area beautifully, right? Everything looks good all the way, like, the scenery, the mountains, all that. Mm -hmm. But the people walking around, if they're outside of a maybe 10 to 15 foot radius from your player character, they are completely gone, and then they pop in with the, the worst frame rate it's like uh, Mr. Game and Watch frame rate. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll be like cruising on my bike, and all of a sudden a Pokemon appears right in front of me, and I run into it. Yep. And it's like, oh, that's great. But I mean, like, I just get out of the fight easily. I mean, like, yeah. hey, is that any worse than random battle fights where it's just like, God, I have to walk through this grass, and who knows how many fights I'm gonna <laughs> run into? So it's like I could put up with that any day. One thing I want to know as well is you're talking about like how beautiful the landscapes look and everything. It's like, it's no Breath of the Wild. But it doesn't mm -hmm. need to be either because that's not the entire focus of this game. Like right. I'd say the entire focus of Breath of the Wild is just exploration. Yeah. Whereas this one is, you know, it's exploration, but also catching Pokemon. It works with the Pokemon art style. The character models look 
the best they have in the entire series, in my opinion. I think the character models look great, and especially when it comes to, like, performance, it is very annoying how the characters, when you step more than 10 feet away from them, go down to, like, 10 frames a second, or 5 frames a second. Uh, but during battles, the the animations are beautiful. Like, yeah. I just keep... I always get impressed whenever I see the Terra... Uh, transformations and each whenever a pokemon trainer pulls out their terra orb and like the little like nuanced moves they do like i remember it was like with nimona the first time where like you know you can tell like her hand kind of jerks back a little bit from the force of it and her hair blows a little bit and she moves her hand to kind of like correct it it's just like the battle animations are beautiful and if that's where they put all their money rather than trying to make the out you know like the framework work on other things they put their money where it mattered most because like pokemon you're spending the time battling at least half the game, if not more. And if those animations look really good, I think that, you know, if they had to sacrifice one for the other, more than well worth it. And something weird that happens when I play online, no matter what, the first Pokemon they throw out initially, my opponent, clips halfway through the floor. Then it shows my Pokemon come out, and when it... when we go back to theirs, like to see the full battle, everything's back to normal. But it's just oh, that opening throw for some reason. The initial Pokemon clips to the floor. I don't know why. And that's just for online because I don't think I've ever yeah. seen that. No, it doesn't happen during the game. But it's online. just when I play online. Yeah. Um, gotcha. The landscape does have all types of terrain that you would expect in mm-hmm. a game like this. It has a desert, has snowy mountains, a ton of mountains and rocky areas. Yes. Uh, there are. There are four secret legendary Pokemon, which I won't spoil what they are and how you do them, but you have to collect a bunch of things to get them. That uh, All right, I'll leave it at that. Go and check them out if you want to, but they're pretty cool. And the last thing that I have for visuals, the Pokemon no longer look like plastic models. They all have fur and uh, they have size variations like they had in uh, Legends Arceus. So you could have a, a Tauros that's, you know, 400 pounds versus one that's 200. I'm, I'm just throwing weight, uh, you know, random weights out there. But mm-hmm. they have big ones and small ones. And it's kind of funny when you see them next to each other. But yeah, like uh, they took what like that idea and let's go of seeing them out in the open. And I'll see like a group of Pokemon huddled and one of them just <laughs> looks larger than the other. And part of me at first is like, oh, is that like a new evolution or something? But no, it's just. It's just larger than the others. It, it oh. feels like the world's a little bit more alive. There's other things I have to say about that statement, uh, which we'll get to yep. later. But um, when it comes to like the Pokemon being in the world, I think it is a big improvement. Oh, the other thing I wanted to say about the habitats is Pokemon are in the habitat that you would expect to find that animal in. Like oh, yeah. You don't find a desert Pokemon in the snow mountains. It's just snow Pokemon. So... Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool that way. But when you talked about groups of Pokemon, so there there are let's take Litleo, for example, it's a lion Pokemon. There's a male and a female one, and they they have different looks. I came up on a group of uh, that Pokemon. It was five or six baby ones and a big mom one. I needed that Pokemon for my Pokedex, but I I like kind of felt bad. I'm like, I'm about yeah. to steal your baby. <laughs> it was really well, you're, weird. You're stealing the mom, so the babies are yeah. left to fend for themselves. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's go- what's cool, too, is you can... Oh, yeah, like, visual. You just reminded me. Uh, You can see shinies before you even start the f- battle. Yes. That's so cool. I had such a cool moment where I know what a shiny Murkrow looks like, and I saw it, and I was like, wait, what? 
And I doubled, yeah. I did a double take, and I was like, that's so cool that I'm able to like, just like notice that now. It makes me, it made me more observant when I'm exploring now and not just like cruising past all the Pokemon. Coming across a full odd shiny, I've come across two of them, is so much fun. I did the same thing with you. There was a group of Kilowattril, and I'm like, wait, is that maroon? Like, cause they're they're just black and yellow birds. Mm-hmm. And my first one is like, and it was a freaking shiny. I'm like, this is awesome. And then the other one was Glamora. It's dark blue originally, but the uh, shiny is baby blue. So I'm like, oh, is that just the male or female version? <laughs> yeah. And I, I went up to it and it was, yeah, another shiny. So shinies are so much fun. Let's move on to the story. So it's the typical, you're a new kid in town you get a chance to uh, you meet the Pokemon professor. Actually, in this one, you meet the uh, the director of the school. You're going to this new school and you get the choice between three Pokemon. You get your own Pokemon. You choose between the three, a grass, a fire, a water, and you have a rival named Nimona. The last two rivals, in my opinion, were absolute shit. How and Hop. Nimona, on the other hand, is delightful. She's fun. I really like her. She has so much fun and energy, and I don't mean to, like, cut into to what you were saying there, but, like, there's the another storyline you can do besides just the regular gym battles. Or, you know, I'll I'll let you take that. Sorry. That's actually <laughs> coming next. Um, the only other thing I wanted to mention is based on which version you get, uh, there are two legendaries, and typically the box art legendaries are saved for the end of the game. Now... Mm-hmm. This is a spoiler. Now, Isaiah, you can mute me for a second. Uh, Give me like 20 seconds if you don't want to hear it. So towards the end of the game, uh, you actually get to use your Pokemon for the first time. And this is at the very end. You get to actually get off of them, throw them out and battle with them. So they still have that like that idea of waiting till the end to use the legendary. But you get to ride him throughout the the game he's he's your mode of transportation which is really cool so and it is based on which version you have so if you have scarlet you have maridon and violet is caridon so i I actually like that a lot because typically when it comes to the uh legendary it's just like you maybe see them once at the beginning of the game Mm -hmm. if that i don't even think in like x and y you see them until like you catch them correct and it's just like you catch them at the end Besides it being a legendary Pokemon, what does it actually really, like, affect on the story besides being, like, the big Pokemon that's going to end the world or something? Yeah. And I like how this one, it introduces it to you, you actually spend time with it, and it means something from the start of the game. Yeah, it's almost your buddy more so than your Pokemon you chose in the beginning. Yeah. Like, I'll say you have that Pokemon out more than your other one, because, you yeah, know, I, I thought that was really awesome and unlike anything I had seen in a Pokemon game before. I don't know. I know that the legendaries for Sword and Shield show up in like the fog in the beginning of the game, but I don't know if they're like a constant presence throughout the game. Uh, barely. Like there are, there are like runes and stuff where it shows the battle that they were in and things like that. But okay. you, for the most part, you see them at the very beginning and at the very end. Yeah. So I, I really liked this with this game where it's just like, hey, the legendary Pokemon that's on the box art is actually like a core part of the game and is something you see from the beginning all the way to the end. The only other games that do that are the ones that didn't have legendaries on the front. Red, blue, mm-hmm. yellow had Blastoise, Charizard, and uh, yeah. Raichu or whatever. 
So. And it's like the legendary for that game was freaking Mewtwo. And do I need to say anything else about Mewtwo? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Basically, the idea of this game is choose your own adventure. There are three types of uh, storylines that you can follow. There's the Pokemon League, which is the typical eight gyms, uh, Pokemon League final boss, and, and there's a post game. The only benefit other than following the storyline to the eight gyms is that after each gym you defeat, you can control higher level Pokemon. You get a new TM, you can control higher level Pokemon, and it becomes easier to catch Pokemon up to that level as well. Yes. And I'll say that was the one annoying thing, because part of the cool thing about this game is you could just not do the gyms at all. Like, I had a friend who played the game for about, I think he said like 30 hours and didn't do a single gym. Having now played the game, it's just like, that must have been really difficult on you. I think the only Pokemon that will never disobey you is your own original starter. I'm pretty sure the rest of them you can't control, so he must have had to keep rotating, like, and leveling everything up to 30 or whatever, and just... uh, The next storyline is the Team Star Compounds. Now, this is your villain team of the of the game and there's another storyline to follow with this so there are five compounds in total and a final boss that you have to fight with with a storyline throughout and then the last bit is the titans these are five gigantic versions i think in every case there are new pokemon right every single one is a gen 9 pokemon yes because uh, first i was supposed to say isn't one of them a Donfin, but no. The Donfin variant, yeah. But they're the new variants from Gen 9. That's the only one that's a returning Pokemon, but it's a new uh, region exclusive. After each time you defeat a Titan, you receive uh, Herba Mystica that you you can follow that on your own. I I won't. Yeah, we won't spoil the story so much. (laughs) Yeah, there's a a story with that one, but after each time you defeat a final boss, your uh, ride Pokemon levels up. So you can surf, you can sprint, jump higher, climb mountains. And there's another one. What am I missing? Glide. Oh, and glide. Yeah, that that's your bonuses for getting all those. And and the cool thing about it is there are 18 different elemental types in Pokemon. And each one of these is represents a different type. All all of the three storylines has a different type. So you kind of yeah. have to it. It introduces you to, let's say you're new. And forces you to learn the like different uh, elemental types, strengths and weaknesses for each. That was by far my favorite aspect of the game. Um, usually with gyms and other games, there's you know just a bunch of types left. One of the first things I noticed, Chrisms I noticed for this game was that the gyms are and Team Star bases and Titans are at set levels, so you can't really do them in any order unless you're constantly swapping out your. You're either swapping out your team. For different Pokemon that are at, at the level for those specific gym, gyms and whatnot, which you don't know until you do them. Or you're, you know, getting into a level 14 gym with level 40 Pokemon and destroying it. Yeah. I kind of wish either it had a level recommendation, which, you know, they could easily put like, you know, under the details section that they have on the map. And I, in fact, that's the one thing I did is I immediately just looked up a level recommendation. You know, the first gym titan or whatever you do has you know a base level of like six and then the second one no matter what it is you do has an increased base level past that and so on and so forth yeah i would have preferred the scaling approach but you know either way they they should have had something to kind of guide you a little bit especially because you can technically get everywhere on the map 
without uh, getting the upgrades for your bike, but it's extremely difficult. So you still kind of have to do all of them. You have to at least do all the Titan ones. All right. So um, in terms of gameplay, I wanted to mention a couple of quality of life improvements. So you've always been able to use fly and, and things like that or carrier Pokemon to travel. But this one has, I would say, dozens of fast travel points, and they all bring you to Pokemon Center kiosks, which instead of like going into a building, they're just kiosks um, that are quick access. So they want you out and it's exploring as much as possible. But mm -hmm. all the fast travel points have, you know, extremely, extremely helped with uh, traversal. So obviously you have to uh, reach the point before you can fast travel to it. But, you know, you're going to be doing a lot of back and forth. Yeah. Yeah, one thing I wanted to bring up in terms of uh, quality of life really quick is the ease of access for PvP. Anything, any type of Pokemon you want to level up, there are guides on how to how to do it without spending Poke Dollars or uh, points or whatever. But you can simply buy vitamins, bottle caps, mints, and create any Pokemon you want um, in the way that you want. So PvP goes really deep, and before, you had to spend hours, if not days crafting the proper because if you go in with a normal let's say uh meow scarada is the the grass cat mm -hmm. if you go in with a normal one a person with a trained meow scarada is going to destroy you even if you have the same moves just just to keep that in mind this does have a much about that easier stuff yeah, yeah it's, it gets pretty wild um so doing. yeah it, <laughs> it does have the classic turn-based battle battles but it has what's called terrestrialization Terrestrialization, any Pokemon can terrestrialize into any type. So let's say uh, Isaiah has a Charmander and I have a Squirtle, right? My water type beats his fire type. However, grass type beats, it's rock, paper, scissors, grass type beats water type. So what Isaiah can do is terrestrialize his Charmander into grass. Now, what does that do? Does it mean Charmander now has grass attacks? It does not. It means that now my water type does not very effective damage to him, even though he's a fire type, but he has the grass type Pokemon. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then I think like the opposite side of that too is really cool. Um, about like you know, like terrestrialization. I, I can't say the word. <laughs> you, you had it down perfectly, but using like the Terra Stonus, it's like you can use it for defensive purposes or like me for a lot of my Pokemon. I just do it for offensive. Sure. My Pokemon Terra's into the same type, but that means any move that is that same type that you Terra as is stronger. The big positive I have about Terra is it does change up the combat in that way. It doesn't make it as predictable where it's like, oh, this person sent out a Charmander. Let me throw out a water type Pokemon because I, I can counter it very easily. So, something that's fine for PvP is you can only Terra once per battle. However, in the open world game when you're not doing pvp you can only Terra once per every time you go to a pokey rest stop i'm gonna use meow scarada again as an example so he is a grass dark type and he can also learn fairy type moves so typically when you're in a in a battle against somebody you kind of have in your head that he could possibly do be a uh, dark type Terra, a grass type Terra, and a fairy type Terra. but there's always those people They'll they'll tear into something that they can't learn any of the moves because people will tear into the type of move you can learn. So, as you said before, they can get the, the bonus damage. 
but some people do it strictly for defense and it's it's yeah. such a fun chess piece to have and you never know yeah people yeah. who play po- like i still have to because i don't i'm not that big into pokemon as other people especially dan i still have to go up and be like what's poison type resistant to again <laughs> yeah and i'll type that on Sarah because i don't remember all the weaknesses and whatnot where i used to know a lot of people who are especially deep into pvp they can rattle it off instantly uh, did you do any terror raid battles throughout this? I did. I did a couple of the smaller ones, and I just did it with um, myself. Randos? Oh, and okay. not, not even randos. I just like with computer players. What are terror raids? They're similar to raid dens from Pokemon Sword and Shield. It's a it's a four on one fight against a, an extremely powerful Pokemon. They range from one to seven stars. The seven star ones are just ridiculous. As as you progress in the game, you unlock higher level stars. Mm-hmm. There is a Charizard seven star and a Cinderace seven star, and they were both just absurd. They're level one hundred, so just to keep that in mind. The purpose for them is that you can catch these high level Pokemon, and it is a one hundred percent catch rate. So if you throw a Pokeball at a level one hundred Charizard, it will catch it one hundred percent of the time, which is great because you go through all that work to beat this. You don't want to come up empty-handed. Yeah. <laughs> Pokemon I Go. It was funny <clears throat> that you could. Yeah. But I. That's what I hate about Pokemon Go. We'll we'll finally get people together for a raid, and it's not a guaranteed catch. So these four versus one battles, the Terra battles, um, you can play with random groups online. You can play with locally with friends. You can play online with friends. There will be like a link code, or you can just play by yourself, where it will give you three NPCs. Now up to like four stars having. Maybe even five, three NPCs is no problem. But yeah. when you get pet, get up to six and seven, you really need people who know what they're doing because because they can be pretty tough. All the Pokemon are terrestrialized when you face them. Mm-hmm. So let's say Cinderace, for example, he was terrestrialized to fighting. So I had to bring moves that were strong against fighting. But also you have to take into account the Pokemon you're facing's moves. So you have to be defensively strong against Cinderace, but strong against fighting, which it's like this weird balancing act that you have to do. Um, The rewards, you get a bunch of battle items. This is essentially you, you do a bunch of terror raid battles to make your Pokemon ready for PVP because you get terror shards, which you can change what terror type your Pokemon is with 50 shards. You get XP candy, which can easily level up Pokemon to level 100. Yeah, and you get a bunch of battle items like bottle caps, mints, all that stuff. Even for like level one and two raids that I was doing, I was getting a ridiculous amount of items every yes. terror raid that I was doing. I was like, this is only level one and two and I'm getting like 50 pieces <laughs> of candy. First thing they that's kind of like new to this series that I, as far as I'm aware is like the school and like the classes you can do. Just a small little thing. I don't think they impact like gameplay changes really. They're like the only thing that can count as like missions to do one of them's like you know the pokedex like you get like get into like the national pokedex and whatnot but like it is nice where it's just like you can interact with your teachers take classes and like get to know them a little bit better you know the the nurse is the best uh the other thing that's like new to this game though i think they kind of had it in the previous one is like the picnics you can do Mm -hmm. um like making food like, I think you could make food in the previous game, but it was just, like, this little, like, easy mini game, And yeah. that was, like, it. Whereas this one, you, like, you actually collect ingredients. 
like you'll make specific foods or you can buy foods that like will boost like some of them like increase special attack or attack or defend like there's or shiny tons, tons of different yeah. stuff yeah like increase shiny mm-hmm. or egg hatching and when it's stupid because the only way to do eggs is via picnics in this one there's no breeding center or something but uh that the picnics are important though or they seem important but i've probably done one in my entire time playing the game it they haven't really made it feel necessary like i feel like they did in breath of the wild yeah and just to put my uh sense in there the only time i've ever used the picnics is to breed because i've been trying to do the living decks so yeah the pokemon in this game uh most of the new ones are pretty unique it's one of the best new sets of pokemon that i can remember but Miscellaneous, I want to bring up the soundtrack. The, the soundtrack is always excellent. Listen out there. Go listen to the Mesa Goza theme and enjoy it for the rest of your life because it's fantastic. It's great. I, I love the music a lot. Um, and so I, I would 100% agree that the, the music is fantastic. So most of my time in terms of cities were just spent passing through cities. And uh, so if you have to visit a gym or if you need to pick up some items or whatnot, they just feel as as alive as the nature feels in this game. It's the same in reverse for how dead the cities feel. The people walking around provide no no benefit. They only provide harm because of the frame rate of those people. Yep. <laughs> you can't go into pretty much any of the buildings. All of the stores are just kind of like kiosk stands. There's been so many games where you go into a building, you know, it's a it's an office building with nerds in there and you get to battle your way to the top for a semi pointless or sometimes awesome prize, you know, where you, you battle every office worker and yeah. they each have a Pokemon. There's there's nothing like that. It's all just, you just based... break into some kid's house and <laughs> yeah. just talk to him and they act like it's a completely normal that, thing to do. That's a staple of the Pokemon games. Just walk into someone's home. You have no business there, but all the residents are cool with it. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, uh, let me come into your home, walk by you and talk to your four year old kid. Everything's fine. Don't look over here. <laughs> I think at some point when you walk into a, a a house unannounced, a guy get like he's laying in his bed asleep and all the lights are out and he jumps up and like throws a bunch of Pokeballs and <laughs> they chase you out of the house. The other thing I think this game was heavily missing was side quests. Now, you kind of get those with the teachers, but when it comes to exploring, the only thing to ever find are either Pokemon or those Gimme Ghoul coins. The, they just said, hey, you know those 999 Korok seeds you need to get in Breath of the Wild? Well, let's do that optional thing that people usually only ever find like 200 or 300 of and make it necessary to <laughs> evolve one of the Pokemon. And it was just like, why? <laughs> 120 hours into my Pokemon Violet game, and I have 367 Gimme Gold Coins. But I think that's the most disappointing thing for me, is it's just like, I didn't really feel any need to explore outside of just like catching some Pokemon. I don't think it's empty just because they wanted it to be, but because it's like, hey, we got all these ideas together from the past years, we're going to put it together, but we can't. Like, we can't go all out just yet because we won't have enough time to do that. And I feel like that's the major thing that's missing from this game is once you've caught all the Pokemon, there's nothing really to do in the world anymore except for those Terra battles, which at that point, it's not even like you're exploring the world. You're just going to those places to do the battles. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And 
that's something I think they can definitely improve upon. So when I yeah. criticize it, it's not because I'm saying they're bad for not including it. It's just it's something that they can do. Yeah, <laughs> it's a wish list where it's just like you've you've laid a good foundation and you have some nice little fillings and treats on here, but we need you to like put a little bit more meat into it next time. Something I don't think we've gotten too much into in this review so much is like the uh, reception that this game has gotten uh, yeah. outside of just like us, which is like we kind of touched on it a little bit in the beginning. The amount of people who just like to hate on this game or complain about it is just really stupid. Like, I think you have some people just like to pile on for some reason. They find it yeah. interesting. So out of the user scores, there are 637 positive. 220 mixed and 1,993 negative scores for a total user score. And this is as of January 2nd, 2023, 2,850 ratings, a 3.2 out of 10. That's just like whiny people where it's just like either something's a 10 out of 10 or a zero out of 10. And if you didn't do exactly what they wanted, this guy's gamer tag or whatever you want to call it is Pokemon hater one. (laughs) And he says, (laughs) Pokemon has been a part of my life for so long, it just makes me want to cry to see games like this. You're called Pokemon Hater 1, so it makes you want to cry to see Pokemon games, I assume? Yeah, and and, and it's confusing because, oh, I'm I'm assuming... Well, here's the thing. What Do I have to assume that you said Pokemon games have been part of my life for so long? What, did you hate them for your entire life and you somehow (laughs) been with them? If you don't like the gameplay in this game... It's like, well, you must have hated it back in, you know, the 90s because it hasn't changed much except for the Terra thing. (laughs) (laughs) A three out of 10 makes no sense. Like for me, we'll get to our verdict soon, but it's just like. Personally, I couldn't see this game at all underneath a five out of 10. Right. Oh, here we go. So the Metacritic score, the you know, if you have if you're a Metacritic on Metacritic, whatever it takes Mm -hmm. to be that there are one hundred and twelve critic reviews for a 72 there are 55 positive 55 mixed and two negative i feel like that's extremely fair i I think that yeah that's that makes way more sense because i can see somebody being mixed on this game that's completely fair 100 percent. but to give it a zero is just it's just people who are butthurt or they want to pile on so ready for verdicts yes yes all right, uh, you first. Uh, for me, I think this game, very similar to like my thoughts on Breath of the Wild and Recreated Time, is a great foundation. It's a good stepping stone towards better stuff. However, just because it's a great foundation doesn't make it a perfect, or I'd even say a great game for me. I'd still give this game... I keep on flipping. I, I'm going to go and say a 6 out of 10. No, okay. I'm, I'll give it a 7 out of 10. I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. Um, so for me, this is an 8.2 out of 10. Like I said off the top about an hour ago. I'm biased. I don't mind saying that I'm biased, but I was 10? debating between 8.2 and 0. Yeah, so, that's that's yeah. the only numbers. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently in today's day and age, it can be a 10 or a 0. Spoilers ahead for Plane 2023. And I'm surprised to this point I haven't said 2022 when doing these. But anyways, 
So, a pilot finds himself caught in a war zone after he's forced to land his commercial aircraft during a terrible storm. Which is a perfect synopsis. Uh, starring Gerard Butler Mike and Mike Coulter, who is the uh, prisoner. Gerard Butler's character's name is Brody Torrance. <laughs> If this isn't an 80s action movie dragged and dropped <laughs> to 2022, I don't know what is. That, that's exactly what it is. One thing I'm glad about off the top is that Gerard Butler doesn't try and do an accent. You know, like one one opportunity that I think they missed right in the beginning. So Gerard Butler is fl- uh, doing a flight and then he's going to meet his daughter in the Maui or some shit. I thought I was Hawaii. Why? Okay. And uh, they have to go through bad weather, of course, because, you know, if it, if the weather was clear, then he probably wouldn't be a very good captain. Uh, I mean, it'd so, be like a it'd be a really short movie. They just got there successfully. Yeah, or, or he just crashed because he didn't know how to work the controls. Whoopsie daisy. <laughs> What's this button do? They have to uh, transport a criminal from A to B. It's a extradition treaty. They found a guy who killed somebody 15 years ago and they're bringing him back to uh i I didn't catch where they were bringing him like if this was a layover situation or if that's just where they were going but one opportunity they missed with the captain voice or with the captain like over the thing is he sounded like gerard butler so immediately i didn't believe this movie at all because every captain as soon as they get on the horn they all have that (laughs) i um i never appreciate when the captain's really funny i don't listen i don't I don't want to hear any jokes. I don't care about the weather. I can look up what time it is. I, what I want from you is, are we on time? Has everything been expected? And thank you for flying with us. That's, that's, all, that's, that's, that's all I need. I don't, I don't want to hear any jokes. I don't care. Well, I don't care where your son's going to college. And I damn sure don't want to hear any jokes about the mechanics. <laughs> I have a, a very big question for you about the whole setup of this movie. Mm-hmm. So there's an electrical failure. Apparently the plane's struck by lightning. Butler has to find a place to land. Or sorry, Brody has to find a place to land. I gotta I gotta call him Brody this whole thing. And they're coming up over a clearing, right? They pass the mountains and they yep. see water and decide to try and land on this narrow piece of road. Why didn't they just land on the water? That that was that was my question. Like my my, my only thought was like maybe they were hoping that there would be like it would be like a civilized uh, place or like, oh, look, there's a field to land in. Or like we'll land in a like a peanut farm or somewhere like that. Like they're hoping to land somewhere with resources is my only guess. Because like if because like how many like islands have nothing on it? Probably not many. Like if an island's been to land a plane on, someone's probably like using it for their yachts or their, uh, <clears throat> you know, military. <laughs> exactly. Well, like it seemed like the safest bet. Like, so you didn't, the plane didn't burst into flames if you ripped open the uh, gasoline hole trying to land, you know, in trees. It was just to land on the water because I think I don't know a- because, I mean, I imagine landing on a water, the landing itself is probably safer because, like, water's softer than dirt. Yeah. But if anyone, like, takes a bump on the way down, you've got to get, like, an unconscious person off of the plane before, like, the plane fills with water. Whereas as long as the plane doesn't catch on fire, which it shouldn't because you can dump the fuel, then as long as the plane, like, you know, the plane can sit there, you can spend 30 minutes getting them off the plane. Like, I mean, because the, I mean, because the passengers are all useless 
And the yeah. flight attendants probably can't drag, you know, a full grown man out, um, out of the plane before it goes under. So it's, yeah. it's going to be just Brody with his head injury trying to get everyone out of there. Would it go under, though? I think so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because um, I'm, I'm pretty I mean, aluminum is heavier than is heavier than water. Well, I was, I was just thinking from the like aluminum the cans don't aluminum cans don't float. Sure, they do. No, you no, they're they're at the bottom aluminum of the lake. Can? Aluminum can, yeah. Well, if that's because they take on water. That's what I mean. So if yeah, I, I think the plane, yeah, the plane is not is not airtight, and it certainly won't be really? airtight after after a crash landing. That's what I was thinking. Because if if it wasn't airtight, wouldn't like the speed of the air like rip it? You know what I mean? As soon as like if you put a bullet hole in the side, that's what. You know, I've seen uh, mm-hmm. Passenger 57 and uh, movies like that. If you shot a piece of the plane, as soon as that little hole, it like rips apart, right? Well, depressurization is different than a crash landing. I imagine they depressurize before they crash land. Or before they land, period. If you but, are a pilot, let us know in the comments below. I imagine that the act of landing on water instead of a runway would do enough damage that you wouldn't still be seaworthy. <laughs> yeah, that's that's an interesting thing. And I wonder if planes have like a uh, some sort of flotation devices that would deploy to keep it from taking on water. I don't know. But uh, speaking of you were mentioning if somebody got injured on the way down, mm-hmm. the uh, cop who transports the prisoner dropped decided his phone. <laughs> dropped his phone and decided, you know what? I really got to make this call or. <laughs> I got to see what happens at the end of uh, Ozark. So he gets up while the plane is like, you know, crashing. And uh, one of the stewardesses, sorry, flight attendants gets up to like get him back in his seat and they both break their fucking necks <laughs> because yeah, the that, plane okay, that guy. Wa- OK, that guy weighs like 230 pounds. She's not getting him back in his seat anyway. What you do? Tap him on the shoulder. Excuse me, sir, sir, sir. No, just stay on your seat. <laughs> So they crash while well, they land and uh, they're in this big open field. Obviously, they they've had no power. Butler and the co-pilot are, are doing this little thing where they're like, oh, if we ran out of electricity here, this is the radius we could be. And, you know, it's a it's a whole thing. All the necks were broken in this movie. Yeah, the, apparently the plane has 10 minutes of battery, um, <laughs> but then they managed to go 3000 miles, 10 minutes, three. I mean, if you're going 400 miles an hour, which is fast for a commercial airliner it's less than 200 miles right that's like 100 miles <laughs> i don't know the math on it but i mean i think they said it was they said it was like a massive search area but i'm like if you're in the air you can see a long ways right but uh i had a couple of questions like first of all why doesn't any why doesn't the plane have a satellite phone shouldn't you have like a sat a spare satellite phone just like in a tinfoil bag somewhere just because planes do get struck by lightning yeah, just in case you're flying over the ocean and might possibly crash. I don't know. Do they explain that away? Because part of the movie is like, oh, he's he's only doing this on uh, like shitty airlines. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I would totally believe that Spirit Airlines wouldn't have wouldn't be prepared for issues over the water. But I also can't believe in a world where Spirit Airlines has an empty seat. Also, on Spirit Airlines, no one would notice a fugitive being handcuffed. They wouldn't notice at all. There's no way you'd notice that <laughs> on Spirit Airlines. <laughs> and they certainly wouldn't have the resources to rescue the plane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'd be like, 
<laughs> All the way someone would notice, why is the guy being slightly quiet? <laughs> they, uh, they make a landing on a road that is more than wide enough for an airplane. They land next to an excavator, which is pretty random. <laughs> Aim for that caterpillar. And I love the argument of why the captain... So the captain decides to go for a walkabout to try and find help. And he brings the dangerous, insanely jacked um, murderer with him because, and I quote, we can't tie him up. <laughs> yes, you can. He's wearing handcuffs. Those are just metal tie. He's already tied up. Yeah, it's yes. not a knot. It's, it's a metal knot instead of a rope knot. The whole premise is uh, Gerard Butler and... Uh, Mike Coulter's characters are going for they're trying to find help in the meantime the like local army who's like some sort of militia that fended off like what do they say uh, they are they are waiting for Nicholas Cruz to show up Gerard Butler does something that annoys me to no end and they he finally finds a phone he calls this woman from the, the plane company and she's like uh sir oh my god stop fucking pranking us you asshole Get the okay. So the, what's more unrealistic, the fact that the pilot didn't have a better number to call, or two that he actually got a hold of a person? Yeah, but like, why would he call her? Like, doesn't he have like a code? Like, he he has to know someone in the towers, right? Like, he's an ex, he's an ex, he's a very experienced airline pilot. Yeah, surely he has like a handful of numbers that he can call. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy that like lost his phone and doesn't and no, doesn't know anyone's phone number. Which, by the way, that is hundred percent me. But he had his phone. As he soon did as have he his get... phone. You're right. <laughs> the thing that Gerard Butler does that pisses me off is that he finally finds a phone. He calls the woman. She blows him off because she's horrible at her job or whatever. Then he calls his daughter. Right. That's all well and good. He gives her the information about where they could be based on the radius that he and the co-pilot did before he left. Then a dude comes in and starts whipping his ass, right? Yeah. He grabs the phone and rips it out of the wall. Yeah, he, he needs that phone for reasons. <laughs> for no fucking reason. He doesn't <laughs> use the receiver that he ripped out of the wall to smash the guy's face. He doesn't, he doesn't try, try to grab the guy with the wire. Nope. Right. Nothing. He rips it out of the wall and then proceeds to fight the guy, which... <laughs> I thought the fight was pretty solid because it felt like two guys in their 40s yeah who were like struggling against each other cuz some of these some of these movies just it's more like a choreographed dance but this felt like okay we're both pushing each other's faces so one of us can get the advantage with the first punch and then you know it felt way more realistic and Gerard so, Butler was fucking winded after which I'm like <laughs> yes this is how people are after fights <laughs> The only thing that could be better is if he'd like tweaked his shoulder a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And then like the rest of the movie, he, he wasn't quite the same when like he's on the phone and the guy surprises him. And it's like a big jump scare. Only guys behind me like, ah! yeah, you're probably not expecting jump scares in a movie like that. So. <laughs> Gaspard, who's uh, Mike Coulter's character. Is it Gaspard or Gaspar? I'm gonna call him Gaston. Okay. Gaston comes, comes through and starts icing folks. Yep, and save, saves Gerard Butler. Well, he doesn't save Gerard Butler from the guy he was fighting because Gerard Butler breaks his neck. Mm-hmm. But he saves two Gerard, other guys. Yeah, yes, yeah. from the dudes in the stairwell with assault rifles. And he shows up like, "Here's your assault rifle." Oh, we didn't mention when they're on their way to that building to uh, get the phone. Gaspar disappears. 
he's like, oh, I guess this guy fucked off and he's just on his own. Yeah, like they have a moment where you're not sure if like he's if the pilot's going to be like murdered by the by the fugitive guy because he's like, do you have my knife? No, I don't have your knife. Did you bring the gun? Uh, and then he's like, I'm going to turn my back to you and start walking now. And then he looks back at the guy just gone like Batman. <laughs> what did he expect to happen? Like, let me just turn my back on this very jacked guy after not answering those questions about a gun. Yeah. I thought he was about to go to sleep and wake up with no gun. Um, this guy, Gaspar, is my favorite character in this movie because as they're heading back, they see Brody Torrance and Gaspar are heading back to the plane after mm-hmm. they, they want to relay the information that they've made a phone call, that there are people with guns on the island, that kind of thing. And they get back and the military, the militia, whatever, are already at the plane, like getting ready to capture everybody. And this is when one of the ladies tries to run away. And they just, how many bullets does he fire into her? Like 10. (laughs) Let that be a lesson to anyone. And then they decapitate her husband for some reason. Because he wouldn't calm down. Oh. It's like, we don't, we don't want any of the panicky hostages. We want the, we want the, like, you have like the fight or flight or freeze response. They they are calling out everyone except for the freeze response. That's fair. That's just, that's just good um, hostage management. Yeah, and it also sends a message. (laughs) The message is stand very still. (laughs) Yeah. What one thing that annoyed me a little bit was Brody like didn't seem to respect the fact that the guy who was a paratrooper commando in the Foreign Legion might know something (laughs) that he doesn't. Because like they're driving down this road and he's like, "Stop the car!" What? There's no what. Stop the car. The Navy SEAL says, "Stop the car." You hit. You say, "How fast, sir?" Please keep me alive, Mr. Special, Mr. Special Ops. I'm an airline pilot. I'm just going to fo- follow you, follow you on the action. You want to drive? You should probably drive this. Yeah, so they had they have to witness that whole thing from from a distance. And uh, they round up everyone in like a big old tourist van and, and bring them back to their little camp. And they leave a few people behind to steal, quote, the iPads. <laughs> like... <laughs> The, um, they have some very nice vehicles for isolated landlocked pirates. I mean, yeah. uh, uh, pirates on an island. Like, yep. I'll be honest, I've gone to I've gone to church in worse vehicles. <laughs> yeah, and the 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 van that Gerard Butler hijacks is like a 2013 Toyota Tacoma, so it's pretty decent. <laughs> I mean, Cuba is green with envy right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they just got in the 1970s models in Cuba. They just got the vehicles that they got that the light crew uses. They have there's a sub there's, a, there's an entire romance subplot between Brody and that uh, and that stewardess, and they just cut it out. Yep, hundred percent. Like the end of it, it's like okay, they're gonna make out now. No, nope, no, nope, they don't. They they definitely recorded and cut that out. There's no way they did not cut that. out. I didn't imagine that, right? No, because she stays back after everyone like congratulates him and thanks him for saving them. She yeah. stays back and comes back to talk to him and like puts her hand on his shoulder. It's like this was meant to be something else. They had to like make a few cuts to keep the um to keep the rating down and they're like, "Oh, we'll just cut out that part." Yeah, it was definitely PG-13 cuz the decapitation they they cut away and you just see like a little bit of blood splash, but they move in and they want to kill one of the guys and like capture the other one to get information out of him. After they do, Gerard Butler goes up in the plane so he can write a little note to, you know, if they find the plane, blah, blah, blah. Gaspar makes the one guy drag the guy that they killed, that he killed, 
into the woods so that he could shoot the guy because he didn't want to have to drag either of them. Got to conserve that energy. (laughs) That was immediately when I'm like, yes, I fucking love this guy. What did they do with the bodies of the people that the pirates killed? I don't know. Because when the uh, when the special ops team shows up, they don't seem to find the bodies because they're confused about what happened. They don't like have like the whole pointing the iPad at those people. Did the pirates take them with them? I'm not sure, honestly. Nobody picked up a head and walked around with it either. Yeah. My next note is video game stealth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they head, head to Let the camp. Let me this bush and be invisible. <laughs> yes. And they, they do freaking uh, splinter cell ops moves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the idea is to uh, to rescue the hostages, obviously. So it turned into a survival. It was a survival movie turned into a hostage rescue movie and then a an island escape movie. <laughs> I love this fucking movie. Oh, by the way, we didn't mention the whole time. There's like a subplot of like this big couple of big wigs at the company, the plane company trying to yeah. find the plane. The only reason they went through that storm is to save like $12,000 of fuel. <laughs> yeah. But let me, I want to ask you this question. If it was dangerous, why didn't our protagonist put his foot down and say, no, I'm not flying through that storm. I'm pretty sure the pilot has the authority to go. No, what the fuck's wrong with you? Yeah. You're going to lose more money if I don't fly this plane. Like, imagine there was a movie where, like, a surgeon had to put in, a, like, an off-brand uh, fake hip. In a storm? No, no, not in a storm. Like, like, he, <laughs> like, it, like, like he's doing a hip transplant, right? Because, like, the, the belly dancer did too much gyrations and needs a new hip. Yeah, she did. Brody still knew he was flying that plane into a bad situation. Either A, it's fine to fly a plane through a storm and they got really, really, really unlucky. A plane could go down just from sheer dumb luck. If two turkeys fly into the jet engines, that thing's going down. And that's just how, that's just, God says you're dying today. Like, that's just what's going to happen. So either, either A, that situation, and no one's at fault for this tragic accident, in which case that guy's an asshole for yelling at the executive for good flight planning. Or B, Brody is just as, um, is every bit, as um as much of a um asshole as the executive who like it was executive idea but he's not the pilot they find the plane uh through some infrared fucking bullshit satellite tactics or whatever yep. and they, they send the tactics team on route to come and parachute in which is i wish they would have shown that scene yeah they didn't have the budget for that yeah this movie cost nine million dollars and not a penny more. <laughs> <laughs> the rescue felt so easy to me. So they're doing their splinter cell tactics uh, mm-hmm. slash Metal Gear Solid. The only thing they were missing was like the cardboard box upside down. <laughs> crouching through. <laughs> oh, my God. I wish that was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. They had two people guarding the hostages and everyone else was like staring intently at like a barrel of fire. Brody well, gets Gast- the guy Gaston in the choke. Two- Gaston yeah. starts telling people to sledgehammer. <laughs> Yes, and my wife leans over to me. She goes, uh, Thor. And I leaned back to her and I was like, Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> rescue seems too easy, but they, they get everyone. They rescue everyone after just the most brutal sledgehammer hit to this guy who's just sitting on the stairs, just right in the face. <laughs> it's like, this this dude's fucking awesome. Uh, when they first sneak up on a pair, Gaspar kills, him well, kills his guy while uh, Gerard Butler chokes his. And, and then just, he comes over and kills Jarbo's guy. 
this movie could not be effective without um, Gaspar. And I guess the the balance of Gerard Butler's character being too like careful mm-hmm. really like helps elevate him. They they don't have a way out. They're gonna get shot down if they try and drive the fan out. That fancy ass uh, conversion van. Well, well, we know that's not true because they just drive an airplane past those guys later. Gerard Butler wants to give himself up so that everyone else can escape. They kick his ass for a little while. And then the, the military tactical crew that was sent out by apparently the uh, airplane company has their own military. So <laughs> United Wetworks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they come out like they have the highest respawn rate. They just come out. <laughs> No protection. They just are like walking forward, popping these dudes. Now they have to escape the island, which involves slowly turning the plane around so they can fly out the way they came in. While three of the Wetworks guys and Gaspar shoot. It's kind of embarrassing for whatever military that these that like this uh, island fended off because they're they are fucking worthless. They kill two people mm-hmm. who weren't fighting back. And then the rest of the bullets just miss completely. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this group of um, very scary terrorists that managed to keep their own island can't hit a, let me check, a 747 airplane. <laughs> At first, I'm like, why are they trying to escape? These guys are so worthless, they could just mow them all down. But after the escape, they a bunch of extra cars come in. Mm-hmm. And that was like the backup. So they were trying to fly the plane away before the backup arrived. I thought the big plan was they were going to turn the plane around and get it running like well, I was going to take off. But then everyone's hiding in the bushes just and just shoot all the terrorists because all the passengers now have a gun. Yeah. And then yeah, uh, use the plane as a decoy. That would have been much better. And then they set up their own kingdom. And but, but they still have a 20 minute segment where everyone talks about how cool Brody is. That's true. I mean, he is cool. <laughs> I, I submit to you that the true hero of the story is our man Gaston. I agree. This falsely, dude... uh, falsely accused, being recorded without his consent by a bunch of jackasses. He then gets uncuffed, escapes, saves the pilot's life, saves the passenger's life, saves the life of the um of the Navy SEALs by helping them. I don't know, probably by killing all the guys that are need to be killed anyway. Like he kills as many people as, as the as the Wetworks team, I think. And then he just takes a very a well-owed half million dollars and leaves. I would say if I was him, I might not have risked my life for a bunch of people that just like yelled at me while I was while I was also on an island. <laughs> but now he's rich. So it's half million dollars. It worked rich. out. Is a half a million dollars on an island where you don't know anyone or have any resources rich? Yes. Okay, then he's rich. He has he all he has to do is move to like Bratislava or something like that, and he'll be a fucking billionaire. So, you know where the conversion rate is just insane. I feel like if you move <laughs> there, someone would just murder you and take your money. Well, not him. <laughs> you could <I> try. Mean... <laughs> By the way, I need a fucking prequel to this movie with with this dude starring I'd this uh, this guy Mike Coulter. I don't want any fucking nonsense either. I don't want any love story. Nothing. I want this dude, like, why he's such a badass in, in an hour and 47 minute movie. That's it. All right, Hollywood. No need to fucking church it up with some bullshit love story or anything like that. Just have this dude and ha- give him a crew of, like, three or four other guys. So that way some of them can die. But, like, he can sacrifice his freedom to save one of them at the end. Yep. And that's why he's that's why he's in the position he's I'm in. It writes um, itself. It does. It really does. 
So let me give some numbers. We'll give our ratings. So it has not been released internationally worldwide. I'm sorry, the rest of the world. You'll get this movie soon enough. The first weekend, $12,025,000, which is pretty decent. But I, I think this movie deserves a bit more interest than it's getting. So it, ha- it had, as far as I can tell, no ad- no advertising. I found out about it because there weren't any other movies in my cinema. <laughs> right. It's like, it's either this or I'm rewatching, um, or I'm rewatching Avatar. Holy shit. Plane production budget, $50 million. What? 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 Oh, you know, you had to get the guy with the jerry curl. Uh, he's, he's a big expense. The main did villain they, guy. Did they buy the island? <laughs> There's barely any CGI. The CGI is from like the plane crash and all that. So... I, I don't understand. Are what they, a little weak. I don't know what's going on with the costs. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. I would say it, it was like if it would have said like ten to fifteen million, I'd be like, oh, okay, yeah. All right, let's give some ratings and then we'll uh, wrap it on up. Yeah, I mean, it's a um, the movie does what it sets out to do is uh, have a guy and another guy save an airplane not full of people. <laughs> I'm gonna give it like a six and a half out of ten. I think. Nothing nice. is stand out, but like there's nothing really wrong with it either. It is a good go and turn off your brain and just yeah. don't worry about why they don't have a satellite phone. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I really enjoyed this movie. I, it was exactly what I wanted. A, just a good old fashioned action movie. And I love good old fashioned action movies. This is a 7.8 for me because everything it tried to do it. Now, if I compared it to something like the menu, yeah, it's. It's a six, but in terms of just I wanted to see an action movie, I got an action movie. You know what I mean? That that's exactly what I wanted. Um, let's see. IMDB one point five thousand plus ratings for a seven out of ten. Very respectable. That'll do it for us. So let us know what you thought about Plane. Let us know what you think about Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. I don't know how much crossover we'll get there, but you know, I wanted to do that review, and it's done. And thank Christ it's done, because it took forever. <laughs> uh, we have a bunch of stuff coming up, including Pompa the Cenophile. Uh, definitely not seeing the Tom Brady old lady movie. Did you see the previews for that bullshit? Tom Brady? What? There's an, a movie where, like, four 80-year-old women, like, masturbate to Tom Brady or something. Oh, I... Yeah, the, the Golden Girls Day Off. <laughs> yeah. I wonder why they didn't do Super Bowl 52. Oh, it's because the prick lost. That's why. Fuck you, Tom Brady. <laughs> no, I, I, don't, I don't really have anything against him. I don't know. It's still funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So on that note, we'll catch you guys later with more stuff. Yeah.